You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins speaking to you from Manhattan, the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we are living through Uprising 2020. And my guest today on You Can't Say That is the 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner in drama, Michael R. Jackson. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Tanya. Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm eating food. I forgive anyone on this podcast. It's been a long day. We'll, we'll say you my phone calls. It's all right. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you're very busy becoming a Pulitzer Prize winner. What does that mean? You became a Pulitzer Prize winner. How does your life change when that happens? It means that you're always on the phone or on a Zoom. But for what? <laughs> like what would what what is people are people offering you things, wanting you to do things? What's happening? Well people are like wanting me to talk to like I did I've done everything from like I just did an NEA podcast this morning and I also talked to like a fifth of grade class like last okay. week. I mean so it's it's a real gamut of stuff. Um and like I've had to figure out how to become like my own videographer oh. all of a sudden by like recording myself playing songs and this, that, and the other, which I'm not good at at all. <laughs> so it's been a real education. Are you enjoying it? I am. I mean, this whole period of like forced, you know, solitude or, I mean, I have roommates, but like a forced you know, quarantine, like it's been like emotionally up and down and up and down. So like, I feel very blessed and fortunate that like this award came and it's like giving me something to sort of, you know, to do and like to feel useful in what I do. I having never been up for a Pulitzer, did you know you were even being considered or is it all a surprise? No, the only thing that I knew is like that I had been submitted for it because okay. like Playwrights Horizons like submits people to be to be even be considered. Okay. Um, and then from there you don't know, like I'd even forgotten that it was even a thing and I, I had assumed that I wouldn't even get it, you know? Mm -hmm. I thought at, at a certain point, and then it's like somebody told me this, and I think you're going to be shortlisted for it. And I was like, oh, really? And I hadn't thought about it up until that person said that. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll make the shortlist. Who knows? You know, the show is well received. But and that's again, an honor, too. The show that would, and that would, like, that would be amazing, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I just was like, no, they'll never, not this, you know? Mm -hmm. But then when they did, I was like, oh, yeah, they made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you remember how we met? 
We met through the Black Lives Matter concert at 54 Below that was canceled. Yes, 2016. Which, guess what? What? Guess what happened last what? night? What? 54 Below tweeted Black Lives Matter on their Twitter account. Yeah, well, you can still go on Google and see. I know. So I the concert. I know. So what I so what I so like a friend of mine responded to them. How? What does this mean? Since you canceled this concert four years ago, and then I retweeted um, them, being like, "What's changed? Are you to the left of the reasons why you said you couldn't do the concert in the first place, or are you now just doing this for optics? Mm. You can't have it both ways. Exactly." Exactly. And Google remembers. Google remembers. So <laughs> Google just remembers. last night they did that. Yeah, it came it came up actually on Google that they canceled because uh Black Lives Matter supports Palestinian oh, rights. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, because we uh, the movement for black lives supports all marginalized and oppressed people, no matter where or how they are situated. We do not uh, you know, limit it to just people who are black and in America. Right. So, of course, you've been getting all these emails. I mean, I had a whole bunch of things I wanted to talk to you about, but we cannot not talk about the world we're living in right now. And sure. from my perspective, I feel like my generation, our time is gone. It's your generation. It's your time. You've got to lead this movement. you got to tear it down and make something new. Where's your head about it? Well, I mean, I think it's really complicated because I feel like there's lots, there's multiple um agendas happening at once. I don't feel that there's like a unified agenda. And my sort of place for it right now is like when everything sort of starts to really go down, mm -hmm. I posted this thing on Facebook where I said, my rage is not free. Mm. And the reason why I posted that was because I felt like, I felt like some, there was like, it's like, remember there's a, still a global pandemic happening. Mm -hmm. And and I support Black Lives Matter, but I also, but my life, my Black life matters. Mm -hmm. And so I, and we've been through so many cycles of this through social media. So like that's this other component of tech that mm -hmm. we already know is sort of like problematic with the way Mark Zuckerberg runs shit on, on Facebook and how Jack Dorsey runs shit on Twitter and just all these platforms and all these cycles of people telling everybody what to do and where to go and where to be and when to be. And like, but then the government is also now in the mix and they're telling us to stay home, but then the streets are saying to come out. And I'm just like, you know what, this is for me personally now a moment of self-preservation mm -hmm. and I don't judge anybody, what anyone does. I just hope that people are safe. I like, I see the people at the protests and I'm like, are you gonna, are you okay? Like, I just, I don't know, you know? So I'm just very much like, I'm not, I'm not just like a doll that you can, when you, when something happens that you can press me and like get my pain mm. and get, and get my outrage. Like mm. it's just, it, it's happened too many times. Mm -hmm. So I'm very much in a self-preservation mode while trying to be helpful where I can be helpful. Mm. Yeah. I feel like the energy that I'm experiencing right now is not, really the energy of, of change yet. It's the energy of people who are uncomfortable trying to move away from discomfort. And mm -hmm. for me, real change comes when people are moving towards something they love and believe in and want to, they vision and want to see happen. And we just haven't gotten there yet. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, what has been your, 
like my experience of, th- of this has been crazy. If I tell you the things that have happened tell just me. me sitting in my house for the last couple of days. Tell me. Tanya Pinkham's. Let me cue the sausage real quick. <laughs> Is it good? Is it a pork sausage it's, or a beef sausage? Um, I think it's a pork sausage. It's like Bob Evans. Okay. Uh, okay. Tanya Pinkins, I have gotten $1,200 in my Venmo from guilty white people and one guilty Asian person <laughs> for my rage. I gave okay. my mother $500 two days ago, and that made me feel so good. I'm happy for you. Because my mother is on a fixed income living in Detroit, Michigan. Mm. So they like, just were like, I'm so sorry if I can make you feel better with well, some money. Like, no, nobody said that. They were just, it was because it was this mix of like, for since I posted that my rage wasn't free, that like they interpret that very broadly. Right. And I them though, because like what had happened was there was this white lady who follows me on Twitter who I don't really know, but mm-hmm. she did this weird thing where she's like, I've learned so much from black people over the year, from black writers over the years, playwrights, and more than I ever could learn in a book. And I'm I'm gonna forget some of their names. And she like tags like me and Jeremiah Harris and Jackie Sibley Stewart and a bunch of people. So you know, I forget some a lot of their names, but how about you follow and listen to them? And so I retweeted that again. With my statement, my rage is not free. My Venmo mm. is Michael at Living. Anybody, I love it. So anybody out there in podcast land, my Venmo is at Michael dash Living. Okay. So and so when I did that, then all of a sudden I just did that as a sort of rhetorical flourish. Mm-hmm. But then people started sending like five dollars, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars. Then somebody sent me three hundred dollars. Wow. Then then Tanya, somebody slipped into my DMs on Twitter and was like. Oh, I just love and care about you so much and your writing and blah, 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 blah. And I just, I'm worried about you. And and I don't, the only thing I can think of is, can I buy you a bulletproof vest? <gasps> oh! Yes, I mean, that might sound silly, but I just care more about your life than my own. And then I just said, no need for a bulletproof vest, but if you'd like to donate the cost of that bulletproof vest to my Venmo, my Venmo is at Michael-Living. And they sent me $400. Wow. And what else has happened? Um, just like all these, like, how are you? How are you? Are you okay? Sending my love. Send like, hey friend. And it's and it's here's the thing, like I I actually don't I'm not mentioning this to like clown anybody of course. or to make fun of them really. Because some of these people are like friends of mine, white friends of mine who like I care about deeply, mm-hmm. who have been collaborators, who who I will continue to love after mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. and through all of this. But mm-hmm. like I, the thing that I started doing is, so one thing I started doing is sometimes the people, when they send me the, how are you or checking in or what's going on or whatever, I just send them a screenshot of the person who asked me if they can buy me a bulletproof vest <laughs> because I want them to see a reflection of whiteness back at them mm. and like, and their and, and make them interrogate their own initial impulse for reaching out to me. Because I have signaled nothing to say that I am in like a great distress, and mm-hmm. yet when I when people ask me how am I and I say I'm okay, they look shocked or disappointed. Why do you need for me to not be okay? I have a roof over my head. I have food in in my belly. I have relative weirdly financial stability right now, and I have my health. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't even have one of those, mm-hmm. and yeah. yet there's this idea that like. 
I'm a, a, I'm in danger. I'm a target. And I know where that comes from. I don't even think that that's what it is, though. Yeah. I honestly don't. I think people's thoughts revolve primarily around themselves. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Reaching out to you is not reaching out to you about right. you. It's reaching out to know to what the you idea to the idea of, to the idea of me as right. in their brain, in their right. strange loop, in their strange right. loop, their perception of themselves. There's this person named Michael R. Jackson, and and he needs me or it or something. Or he's black, and I never really thought of him as black. And does right. that mean that these things that are happening in the world are happening to him? Right. Oh, I think I better reach out to him so he right. knows I care. Yeah, yeah. And I've been you talking know? to so many of my friends who are like having like the same experience in whatever their world is. Like my mm -hmm. one friend Tisha told me this hilarious story about like because she owns a daycare center and like this hilarious story about. The like white moms who like have been reaching out to her, even though they have been like since the beginning of this pandemic, very responsibly telling the parents what they're what they can do in far as maintaining their programming and so forth. Mm -hmm. And like one of the white women like emailed her and was like, "Not to be a Karen, but <laughs> I actually would like a refund for my, you know, like stuff like that." And it's just like, it's just like very crazy. Um, and it's like we're all living in like a Black Mirror episode or something. Yeah. 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 I I posted that, you know, all these people who were saying Black Lives Matter today, I was like, where was it yesterday, last week, last yeah. year, all your life? I don't believe it. It's not. It's disingenuous. Right. You know, it's about your brand. And I want to see your actions working to build an anti-racist society. Yeah, but can I just offer something maybe controversial? Yes, do. do that? Is that I also I I think that for some people it's it it quote unquote is real, but it's real because there is a class of black folks that have just beat this into them as a sort of bourgeois um politic. And that these people have taken it in without really thinking about the material uh, conditions of blackness or of uh, or or being someone who doesn't come from like a certain income bracket that like the, and they but they've taken like this sort of bourgeois con, ind, individualist sort of uh, identity based concept without looking at the material underbelly of it. Mm. And what's the material underbelly to you? Well, that like, you know, black people ha have not, we have not gotten what are, we are due. We haven't gotten reparations. We, we don't like, we don't, our, the wealth gap is what it is. Like there's been a great We're more educated than white people. We still have less income. And exactly. We, we don't plunder land. Like we don't own as much land. We don't like all those things. Um, those to me are like the material, like a lot of the material underbelly. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. I wrote a, you know, I wrote a movie really addressing a lot of these issues. You know, I think that and I, I, a character sort of says, I'm just I'm happy to be on this side of the equation this time. You know, I think that there is that sense of just being happy to be on on this side of the equation. And and of course, then there's that little narrow group of people who believe that if you have that was God's will for you to have. And if you don't have it was God's will for you to have and don't at all look at their own actions that contributed to their having or you're not having. Amen. So I read an article uh, interview that you did with someone and you were talking about this sort of black queer identity and erasure. And I really wanted to talk about it because it's something I don't personally experience kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but I have my sort of own thing. I sort of feel like my thing is like as a, uh, attractive, successful, talented, powerful black woman, that's an erasure because we aren't supposed to exist. We're mm-hmm. supposed to be welfare moms. <laughs> right, right, right. And right, so right. if you're not that, they're waiting for you to cuss them out and be that, mm-hmm. but there's no space to recognize you in any other way. Like that you don't need them, that you're powerful in your own right. You're They're not doing you favors. You're not grateful for what's happening. Mm-hmm. That is a space that is... You know, I, I have so many white people saying, you're angry or I don't want you to be mad at me. It's like, like you think so little of me, like that you have such value in my life that there's that much energy going your way. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, it's funny, like you mentioned that because I've been thinking a lot about, there's a new another musical that I'm working on developing called White Girl in Danger. Mm. And the more I've like been developing it, because it's, it's, it's about the same thing it's always about, but like it's deepened in a lot of ways the more workshops and stuff I've done on it. And I actually did one Zoom workshop of it during this pandemic. And the thing, the the last rewrite I did of it, the sort of idea that came out of it for me had to do with like consciousness and like white consciousness versus like black consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I have been thinking a lot about is that like, I am a black writer. I've always been a black writer since I was like a little kid. And so I always had, my, and I came from like, I went to, I, I grew up in a black family. I went to black schools. I went to a black church. Um, the first boys I kissed were black. The first dicks I sucked were black. My whole consciousness is black. I've mm-hmm. never been in third person mm. looking at like being like, oh, blackness on the side. Mm. And as a, as a creator, that's even more amplified in me. Mm. This idea that my blackness at, is universal. Mm. I see whiteness as universal thing that I have to explain to other people. I mean, I get it because I exist in it, but Mm. not in my mind. And see, I don't have that at all. Right. Because I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in a black family. I'm a civil rights baby. You know, I got to go to school in 68. So I was in the first schools where we were, you know, they were letting black people move into the Jewish neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and my school was integrated. So, and my family really thought white made right. And so I had to learn to do etiquette when I was three years old and I learned to articulate and be proper and all of that, which of course got my ass kicked in school with all the black kids that were there. And I've spent a lifetime trying to navigate that. You know, that's that, that's my thing, because well, 
I feel like I don't get accepted in the black world. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because I had a somewhat mirrored experience of that is that like, I try to explain this to people. I was talking to Brandon and Jacob Jenkins about this a long time ago that I grew up in such a black context, a universal black context that there was a period in my life when I rebelled against it. Mm. Trying to rebel against it because it was so universal to me. It was mm. different than like those movies where like the white girl runs to the bad side of town. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, and so like I I was like I have to get out of Detroit, and so I moved to New York for college into the melting pot. Mm-hmm. And like, and it was there that I was like, okay, now I'm free. I can do like what my white friends can do. But like, I ran into that was where. I really ran into these experiences of racism that like my dad had been warning me about in my black context since I was a little kid. Like my dad, my dad used to sit me down, me and my brother down. He would like have a few of his little, his drinks and he would sit us on the couch and he'd be like, Michael, the white man is not your friend. And he would tell us about like his experiences growing up, um, in Detroit. And what's his sort of story is that like he, my dad grew up in um, Highland Park, Michigan, which is mm-hmm. like a little city sort of within Detroit. And he had lots of negative experiences with the police as a kid. Like he told us one time about him being rounded up with a bunch of other black boys when he was like eight years old mm-hmm. and thrown into like a jail cell. Mm-hmm. And yet he also grew up and became a police officer. Mm-hmm. And he what became- is that about? Well, because he went to Vietnam and then he came back and it was like the seventies and that was like a stable, good job. Mm. And so he like built a whole career. He was a a police officer for 26 years and he like became a police lieutenant. And the thing that he always expressed to me was that, um, the white man is not your friend. Right. Even while he was policing (laughs) but he also was like extremely proud of the fact that in 26 years of police work, he never had to use his weapon once. Or mm. he never chose to use his weapon, mm. you know, against somebody. And so, like, but then, and then, with so then within that, I grew up in police stations. My mm. whole childhood, police cars would pick me up from school. My dad would send his officers to get me. They would come to our house. I knew them. I would walk through police stations, seeing people being arrested and taken away. And I thought nothing of it because, the A, most of the police officers I saw were Black. Mm. B, the ones that were white were um, my father's, they, they were, my father was their superior. Mm. And so I had this whole, I, for me, it wasn't until, you know, like Mike Brown is killed and all these police killings are come up later that I like had to really understand that my childhood was extremely unusual. Even as like, we would see things like Rodney King or, or in Detroit, Malice Green was like a big shooting in, um, I think 92 or 91. And so like, that was, but like, I, I had to, I rebelled against that when I came to New York and like experienced like the whiteness of like going to NYU to study playwriting as an 18 year old mm-hmm. and, like, re- and like realizing that some of the teachers like had no use for me. That A, I was just like a cash cow for them because I had to take out a big fucking loan to go to the mm-hmm. school. And then they didn't care about whether I learned about playwriting. They didn't care about how my creative or artistic imagination. And also at that particular time, we didn't have the language that a lot of this generation has. I didn't know shit of, I didn't think I'd learned what intersectionality was until like (laughs) four years ago. Uh Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, me too. 
and all those things that were happened. Like one time, Kenneth Lonergan did a master class in when I was an undergrad, where we all you have to do a lottery to get into the class, and then you get into the class, and then you read ten pages of like your play, and he gives you feedback, and he brings in actors to read it. So I get in the class. I bring in 10 pages of my play, which is about like a black police officer and his wife. And they're like from the South and they're having like a domestic issue. And Mm -hmm. here's the thing. This play was not good. These 10 pages weren't good, but I was a student. I was learning. But I go into this class with Kenneth Lonergan and he brings in not these actors, but it might as well have been Adam Driver and like uh, Scarlett Johansson from from Marriage Story to read everybody's plays. So then I had to listen to... Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver essentially read like in dialect <laughs> my characters, which thankfully, because I had I have a dark sense of humor, I was able to like find the like dark humor in it, but it also was like deeply humiliating because there was no language to talk about why this was a problem, why he had just assumed that Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver could just could read it were universal they could read anybody's plays they could do that and that that would be educational to like a black student sitting in a playwriting class at a university that doesn't care about him and it's just sucking him out out from the money that he borrowed from a bank right and so those things then like you know going into like like going from being in high school and like having all the black dicks i could suck to going to new york and like I couldn't find nobody black that would fuck me for nothing. Mm. And all the, and then the white men were even worse, but then the, then there were the white men that would fuck me, but they were usually older and they like were fetishizing me in a certain way. And mm. I felt like I had to play into that because they were the only ones who like quote unquote wanted me. And so I had to unlearn. So there was so much I had to unlearn in my twenties into my early thirties. That's I can relate to that. I have so wanted to be with a black man my whole life, and they just don't want me. Well, I finally found. I finally for me, I didn't find a black man that wanted me until I admitted to myself I want a black man. Mm. Well, I've I've been admitted and I've chased them down, and right. yeah, no, no, I'm too much work. They can get a white girl, and that's so much easier <laughs> to do with me. <laughs> I'm going to require them to have to live up to with their potential. Right. So you know, but it was just like it was, but it was a whole, it was a real journey because I just had just horrible sexual experience after another, mostly with like these white men, and I would just be like, why the fuck did I do that? Which is mm. like, there's a song, A Strange Loop, that's sort of about yes. the worst of those experiences, or at least drawn from the worst of those experiences, because I did fictionalize what I need to fictionalize. Um, so l- let's talk about that, because yeah. that was a moment for me that was just, it was, it was triggering. It was, it was really hard for me, Michael. <laughs> okay. Every, so, Harrell always says, everybody is welcome, but no one is safe. Right. So it was like, you know, when I did Jelly's Last Jam and we were working on um, Loving is a Low Down Blues, Mm -hmm. this is 1990. And Gregory was like, okay, so this is going to be the moment where where, where she sucks my dick. And this is going to be the moment where I fuck her in the ass. And and, and I I just was like, I need to get out of the room and get out of this show. Oh my God. And I literally, when the break came, I was like, I called my agent. I said, get me out of the show. Right. I'm not having a musical where there are people are sucking dicks and fucking in the ass on Broadway. Okay. No, no, no. And now here we have a Pulitzer Prize winning play <laughs> where someone is getting fucked in the ass and singing a song. <laughs> and being called like a nigger by his boss. I just been <laughs> apoplectic. Okay, I was apoplectic. <laughs> 
Look, but that's that was. I mean, here's the thing: A Strange Loop is not an autobiographical show. It's emotionally true. It's like yes. that's what it felt like. Yes, that's what it feels like. Like, yes, I was like, I'm watching it. Right. I'm watching it. Oh my god, this is one of the thing I, I spent my whole life trying to never have happen. Oh my god. <laughs> Mm, 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 mm. So, so talk to me about the emotional experience of that. Is it like, you know, I've been trying to write this piece, which is called The Angry Fat Black Woman Who Devours the World. Oh, nice. And it's, about, and it's about a woman who this, you know, her white boss says one stupid thing too many. And she literally bites his head off, chews it up and shits it out and says, anybody else? <laughs> okay. That's, that's real. That's so, you real. know, that doesn't literally happen, yeah. but it captures the emotion. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> So I guess, like, what I can say, again, by, by just saying that, like, I did draw from personal experience to write a strange loop, but there are certain things that were just different. So the truth, is, the truth is, if I just talk about, so I'm, for people listening, uh, I have a song in my show called Inwood Daddy. Mm-hmm. That is about uh, Usher, the main character. Oh, A Strange Loop is about a Black gay musical theater writer who works as an Usher at a Broadway show who's writing a musical about it a musical theater writer who works in the Usher to Broadway show who's writing musical blah, 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 on and on and on. And in this song- Very meta, very right, meta. Very meta. And this, so- this song moment, Usher, the character, is going to Inwood to this white man's house to have sex that he met on, so on like Grindr or something like that. So the, uh, and the song goes, Inwood, daddy sucking cock all Saturday morning, which if anybody <laughs> wants to know, I base that, the feel of that off of, my world is empty without you, babe. Oh. My world is empty without you, babe. And I, and I came to that tune and that, and that song, that hook, when I, one, like years and years ago, somewhere in the development of Strange Loop, when I was on Craigslist back in the Craigslist days, when I used to go on Craigslist and answer sex ads on there. And one guy had a, a headline that said, Inwood Daddy Sucking Cock All Saturday Morning. And it just immediately <laughs> sang to me. And I said it immediately without knowing what I was going to do with it. And then, uh, like years later, I put that song, I, I, I developed that song in the show. But then, also years later, af- I did that after this one night I met this guy on like, uh, I think it was still Craigslist, but it might have been Grinder. who I was sitting at home and I was feeling a lot of like self-loathing. And mm. I just, and I, there was, and I, there was no one I could call. There was nothing to eat. Uh, there was nothing. I was, I just need to get out of my body. I was just sitting home feeling very antsy. And I went on Craigslist and this guy, this white man basically was like, come on over. Because mm-hmm. what I had been used to was like- You don't be scared definitely. of some, go some Jeffrey Dahmer shit. No, I was always scared and I didn't do it very often, but like, cause it was, but prior to that, it was always to be like too fat, too ugly, dick too small. Like that was what it usually was. But this okay. particular night, it was like, yes, you're cute. Come over. And so I, itching to get out of my skin, I get on the train from my apartment in Washington Heights, from this very bedroom that I'm recording in. Mm-hmm. Um, I go wait for the train. And since it's late at night, even though Inwood is only two stops away from my house or like three stops away from my house, the train only comes like every 30 minutes or whatever. Mm. So I told him I'd be right over, but it ended up being like, and it, it took me like an hour or like 45 minutes just to get to the stop. They don't and, pay for no taxis. No, not, not back then. And not for no okay. black boy who like 
didn't have a big dick and was sad and all this stuff. So like I went to, um, I finally get off the train and then I, it takes me like another like 30 minutes to figure oh. out where his apartment is. Cause I don't oh. know in with that well. And I kept on like being confused by all them side streets up there. And so I finally get to his apartment and he like answers the door in his like blue bathrobe and his glass. He's like a little nerdy white man. And like, <laughs> and he's like, well, God, like I have to work tomorrow. Like, why did it take you so? He was like, was like very aggressive. And I'm like, sorry, sir. I'm sorry. I like Inwood. It's just so far. I, I don't know. And like, I just was totally subservient, like in every way. Mm-hmm. And so like, he like takes off his robe. He has no clothes. He's like, just wants to get right to it. Cause he has to work tomorrow. Oh God. And so like, he's like asking me, do I want to use poppers? And I'm like, no, poppers is drugs. Like, so like you can read the scene and like a lot of that is true. He was not smoking meth, but you know, <laughs> might as well be, might as well been. And like, he like, <laughs> we have sex. It's like totally painful. He in the middle of it is like, you like my white cock and you. And in that moment I was like, fuck, I like got, got. Mm. And I was just remember laying there and just being like, this fucking white man's dick is inside of me. And like, he's basically calling me a nigger. Mm. And I didn't sign up for that. And yet I completely left myself open to it. And like, then he's finishes and like, I'm like bleeding. And so I, and he goes, and he wants me to leave and he like goes to the bathroom. So I like wiped my like bloody butt on his Uh curtains. And then, uh, <laughs> that's because yeah, I was so mad. And I was like, I'm going to get revenge somehow. Yes. And then I like, and then I like took the train home and I just remember having deep regret and being like, why did I do that? Like, so what? let's talk about self-loathing. Yeah. Because that's when I, that comes up for me all the time. Right. Deep, deep self-loathing. Like whenever I do mushrooms or anything, like mm-hmm. I go through hours of just self loathing and I don't try to resist it I just go into it you know what is it for you this is Tanya Pinkins you're listening to you can't say that that was part one of my podcast with Pulitzer Prize winner Michael R. Jackson hey it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory a program of maestro music Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now. And get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org. Because only together we rise. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.